just last week, I participated in the Sync Summit Los Angeles conference that just happened. And the uh, creator of Sync Summit, Mark Freezer, actually invited me to be a speaker on one of the panels at this conference. Now, I've never done that before, and I actually haven't participated in many Sync conferences in general uh, in the past, but uh, I really had a good time. Um, I am going to be doing a full breakdown of the event, like basically a full review uh, that I'll be releasing as a future uh, podcast episode, probably actually this week. So look out for that. I wanted to let you guys know all the cool things that I learned at this event and also let you know who I really think this event is for and whether or not it would be something that would be useful for you to potentially participate in or go to and attend uh, in the future years to come, right? So on this panel that I'm going to share with you in this video, we have myself, of course, you guys know me, uh, but we have Shanid Hartman, who is actually the VP of BMG Production Music. So very big company, very big deal. She had a really a lot of great things to um, share. I'm going to try to get her on the podcast as well, and hopefully we can get some great insights from her. Also on the stage with me was Eric Gilbertson. He was the director of the um, West Coast development of RNE Audio. That's basically an ad firm. They, they uh, put together and, and licensed music for advertisements, both regionally, nationally, and internationally. So again, a really good player, a really good person to know. Um, again, I'm trying to get him on the podcast as well. And last but not least is Shane Roberts of Amper Music. Now, Amper Music is essentially an AI-created music production software program that basically can be useful for producers and for people on the um, music editor end that's trying to basically place a lot of cues into a TV show in a short amount of time. So there are you know a lot of different opinions about what Amper is and what Amper is trying to do. And I understand I've gotten many emails from many of you guys saying, isn't that kind of like a robot coming in to basically do our job for us, to create music for us? And so Shane had some insights into that and to basically just talk to you guys about what he sees for the future of Amper in terms of is it going to be creeping into your guys' position um, or is it not? So definitely watch this video. He gives some good insights into that. And I definitely will try to get him on the podcast so we can go into much further detail as far as what's coming. Because whether or not it's going to be a company like Amper introducing this, this AI technology into the music creation process it's coming, right? You guys know that that is going to be something that is going to definitely be creeping into every aspect of all of our lives. So it's better not to just resist it and think, well, that's that's garbage. That's crap. I don't want anything to do with that. And that's terrible. It's better to learn about it. First of all, show some curiosity for it. What does it do? What is it potentially going to be uh, disrupting or uh, changing in the industry? And that's usually what technology does. It has changes stuff. And if it's something that's inevitable and it's going to be coming down the pipeline, how can you maybe, uh, if you need to reposition yourself or you need to basically think about producing music in a new way, you need to basically just start to mentally prepare yourself for these really big changes that are certainly coming down the pipeline because it's not about Shane and it's not about Amper. It's actually just about technology. So I definitely want to have some great conversations with him that will hopefully be beneficial for all of us. So without further ado, uh, here is the talk that I had at Sync Summit. I hope you enjoy. All right, so anyway, so tell us about yourself and what you do in BMG uh, production music. Um, hi, I'm Sinead. Um, I've been living in the States for about 20 years. I got here to, came here to study film and television, which I did at Columbia College Hollywood on Melrose and La Brea. It no longer exists. Um, and I was just very fortunate with my path and the jobs that I landed and the relationships that I built. Um, I worked for production companies, but then really one of my first um, amazing jobs outside of um, film school was as a receptionist for Hans Zimmer's film company back in the day. It was called Media Ventures Pictures. And um, within uh, three years of working there, I got promoted to um, various positions, assistant and then development associate, and then finally um, creative 
um, a director and I was working with Werner Herzog all the time and didn't really know Hans but to make this short because I don't want to talk too much but um, I transitioned into music as I said I was a film major um, when that company dissolved um, somebody sued someone and, um, and then I was the only one left who knew uh, all about our 10 picture slate and so Hans took me um, I, his lawyers asked me to, you know, talk to him about this, what was going on, and he was packing for Batman. Um, he was meant to go to London, and um, and I was really pissed off, and was saying my dream job had just, you know, dissolved, and so he um, offered me a job. Long story short, I can see you looking at your watch, um, <laughs> and so I became a film consultant for him, and through that I started working also for various composers in that stable um, and that's how I transitioned into music and yeah about um, six years ago um, I started in the music library business. So uh, that's that's an interesting transition after spending so much time in the visual area of it. What really like for you was it a natural transition? Was it like something where you were like oh yeah you know what this this I, I my skill set lends itself nicely to what we're doing now. You know, you're going to have me talking for another 20 minutes. That's well, okay. um, I was um, approached by a composer called Klaus Badel to start a, to spearhead a production company with him. So again, I was back on track. And um, when the first day came for that, he got Catwoman, and it was his biggest film at that time. So he came to me, and he was like, "Shit, shit, shit! Hope I'm allowed to swear on this stage." Yeah, you're. Um, I need a production score coordinator and I was like yeah but I don't do music I'll help you find someone and it was no it has to be you so um, he said if you producing movies you can produce this score and then next thing I was just doing that consistently and music moves me it put me in front of any orchestra and I'm crying you know, so it moves me deeply. So it's a very happy place for me to be in. I also love business. And then there was that film element as well. I was on the studios with, you know, the old, it was it was an amazing, it was a real golden time for me. And, and then I stuck with music. Wonderful. Wonderful, okay. Um, now, Jesse, tell us a little bit about what your journey's been, because it's really unique um, from, you know, just, being an artist and looking at a way to connect your music to um, visual media and then what you've done in terms of building out um, your advocacy and other efforts for artists. Thank you so much for having me, Mark, and what's up, guys? I'm just curious how many of you are singer-songwriters, producers, artists? Can you guys raise your hand if you're in one of those camps? That's why I was kind of getting the vibe that that's mostly who's here, so I want to make sure I'm talking directly to you guys. Um, so, like many of you, maybe you are in bands now, or you've broken up with bands and you're doing your solo thing. I had a band uh, when I first moved to LA. We were signed with Tyrese Gibson's production company. I thought we were on our way to getting a major label deal. I figured we're the next Linkin Park. We were promised all kinds of crazy stuff. So, I'm 22. I'm thinking I'm about to take over the world. And in the process of being in that band, we were introduced to a music library, a production music library. There's different terms for it, but I just call them music libraries. And through that meeting, as a band, we decided that's not right for us because they wanted to take our publishing. I know many of you guys have heard of deals with music libraries that say, if you want to partner with us, you need to give us the publishing, you keep your writer's share. 
Some of you guys have maybe heard of that. You'll learn about that. We'll talk about that. So as a band, we, we said, no, we want to go get a major deal. We want to tour the world. We're going to get a publishing deal with another company. That doesn't serve our needs. No thanks. But me, I had this foresight as to this band may or may not last my entire life. So, but I do want to have a music career. So if it's going to be with this band, great. If it's not going to be with that, this band, that's sad, but still my career needs to come first. So I basically stayed after the meeting and said, listen, as a band, maybe not so much, but I'm kind of interested in this. How does this work? What kind of music do I produce? Because I was doing a little bit of Logic Pro producing back in the day. I was terrible at it. Had really bad sounding tracks. But I saw that this uh, library owner had, I think he had over 10,000 placements at the time, and he was showing me his royalty checks. And he was making good money. And I was like, this is kind of interesting to me that there's a source of income out there for somebody like me. So the band... You know, of course, broke up eventually. We got dropped, nothing came of it. It was very sad. Uh, still great friends with all of them though, and one of them was my brother, so obviously we're still very connected. Um, but that path that I sort of started along that journey just continued. Um, and I did everything in LA from, you know, being the guitar guy, going to studios in the middle of the night, um, hanging around, hoping to get a placement here and there. I did everything you can think of trying to get myself out there as a producer, as an artist. But as I was doing all that kind of nonsense and just spinning my wheels going in all these different directions, it was the sync licensing side of my, my career that was giving me checks, giving me contracts, getting me placements. That was the side of my business that was actually growing and expanding. So it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out that you should go with the path of least resistance. So for myself, I was just feeling like, wow, I'm actually being valued and being appreciated. My music is actually getting out there. And now my music has been, you guys have probably all heard my music, believe it or not. You never knew it was me. I'm not getting any credits on screen. But you name it, uh, Keeping Up with the Kardashians, American Idol, The Voice, uh, Jack in the Box, um, Outback Steakhouse, Nike Ford, ABC, CBS, NBC, you name it. Like, I've been out there all over the place. And that didn't come overnight. That took a long time. So it's a long process. But now that I've discovered this side of the industry, I never look back. And about three years ago, I decided to create Sync My Music because I know that there's a lot of producers, many of you in the room. You guys are actually miles ahead of the competition just being in this room right now, let me tell you that. Because yeah. most, probably 95% of artists, songwriters have no idea that this even exists. They still think that you have to have a hit on the radio, you've got to be a major label artist to get anything on TV. So the fact that you guys are here and you're aware of this, you guys are miles ahead. And I've talked to some of you already. You guys are well, well prepared to do very well. It just comes down to execution and consistently showing up. So that's my brief story. We can talk more about the details later. That's that's actually uh, it's actually like a really incredible story because a lot of people, you know, like you said, like ninety five percent of the people out there haven't even sussed out that there's this, and that blows my mind because I think like we live in the world where I'm just like, yeah, there's lots of hype in our industry. There's lots of you know buzz about like, oh, well, the thing that I need to do is I need to get a sync. I need to put something into some uh, visual media project, but. Most people are still in the mindset of like 1998, basically, right? Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, part of what I started Sync My Music, uh, my platform, I have a, a podcast, I have a YouTube channel, and you guys can obviously just look me up, you'll find me, is to dispel all those myths out there and to let you guys know that I've done it, it's been my full-time income, not easy. I was really stupid in the beginning. I didn't take it seriously enough in the beginning, and I signed a lot of dumb deals, made a lot of really unlicensable music that's still to this day been sitting on a shelf in the library, not getting many placements, wasted a bunch of time doing that. So I wanted to basically pay it forward to the next generation of people that wanted to get involved with this. Um, even though I have I, probably over 25,000 email subscribers at this point, 
it's still a lot of people think, oh, it's maybe oversaturated. Like Jesse, you got started in two thousand and eight. Like it's two thousand nineteen. It's kind of over now. Complete BS. Because yes, there's a lot of people that are becoming aware of it, thanks to people like me, thanks to people like Mark. But that doesn't mean a lot of people are doing it the right way, and it doesn't mean a lot of people are doing it the smart way, and they're not consistently showing up week after week, month after month, and especially year after year. This is a long-term plan to make this your full-time job. So don't let this fear of competition or oversaturation scare you, because you can make that same argument for any field you get into. If you want to be a real estate agent, aren't there too many real estate agents? Absolutely. If you want to be a lawyer, aren't there too many lawyers? Absolutely. So, absolutely. If you're looking for a reason to get out of this business, you can use that excuse. It is oversaturated, but it's really not. Okay. So, if you're long, if you're willing to put in that hard work and do this a smart way, you can absolutely do it. I think that's really sound advice, Jesse, and it is true. Just about anything, you know. Having been an entrepreneur for a while, I've always had I've always had people say to me, "Oh, you know what? The market's saturated. Why do you want to do another conference? Why do you want to do another licensing agency? Why do you want to build a like a mobile music company? Whatever it was that I did in the past, there have always been people telling me that you know the market's already there. But you know what? You believe in your vision. You believe in your music. You believe in what you can do. You can always do something. So I agree with you 100%, Jesse. It's not about like where the market's at. It's about where you're at. That's really the best way to look at it. Now, Eric, um, you're not coming from the uh, production library world. You, you go ahead and... Yes. Tell us a little I'll bit... take this one. Yes. Okay. Tell us a little bit about r &E Audio. Tell us what you guys do, where you work, and who you work with. Well, even uh, touching on what you've been talking about uh, before r &E Audio... Um, I was working with artists um, in bands that you know from Santana to BB King, trying to help them make mailbox money. And because when they're not on tour, they're not making any money if they're a sideman. So, and that's how I met my business partner. And we actually did a project with Shane <laughs> to make uh, drum loops. And I was making drum loops with a lot of these guys, or publishing deals, or book deals regardless of what they wanted to do, you know, they had their own, they wanted to make money while they were not on the road. And that's how I met my business partner, and he said he had a catalog of music, and he had been a music editor with Fox, and that really, like, turned the light on in my head. I was like, oh, you were the user of the music that I was producing when I was a writer. So that's the beginning and the impetus of r &E Audio. And what we uh, specifically focus on is advertising. Right. So you, you have um, music that's licensable and also bespoke music for advertising. Correct. Right? Yeah. And tell us a little bit about who you work with. Like, who's in the constellation of R and E? Well, we work with a lot of. We we don't do campaigns necessarily. We do a lot of one-offs with everyone from McDonald's to Toyota to right now we have Advil. Um, Advil, Ritz crackers, and the new Kit Kat commercial. Yeah, that, right that was a really good one. Yeah. And um, who are the people that you work with on the creative side um, with your company? You know, the different artists, well, different... It's, um, it's, it's a makeup of guys who were in bands like uh, Kobe Calais or Demi Lovato to, you know, uh, composers who reach out to us. Yeah. Wonderful. So you're... you're you uh, will have a conversation with people that come to you oh, and say absolutely. like, hey, you know, I've got some music, I want to talk to you, maybe we can collaborate or work together on some level in the future. So you're open to that. Oh, totally, yeah. Send me your music. Cool. Please. See, that's what you want to hear. <laughs> 
All right, great. And um, now let's um, let's have a, a little bit of a discussion about Amber. So first of all, Shane, tell us a little bit about you, and tell us a little bit about uh, tell us a little bit about Amber on the uh, top level. Yeah. Um, so my name is Shane. Hi, everybody. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you, Mark, for having us all. Um, I cut my teeth in like audio engineering, specifically with like loop library and sample creation. Also, a ton of like virtual instruments and stuff like that. So I worked in a lot of different areas, not only creating that stuff, but also dealing with companies and producers and artists and musicians and all the people who would kind of use that stuff and then all the people who would shop it out to companies to try to get it cleared and to try to make library music and all the ins and outs of that. And I did that for about 10 years and then uh, for the past year and a half-ish, almost two years now, I've been with Amper Music, which is uh, a composer tool. Uh, we, we thank you for not saying the word AI because it's scary, but it's, it's mostly a composer tool and it is based on artificial intelligence, but it's a company made up of a bunch of people who saw really, really difficult problems that people on our level were running into in the music industry and we're having a very tough time tackling just insurmountable problems and especially with the you know the new supply and demand with a crazy oversaturation of supply and a crazy oversaturation of demand and the kind of the devaluing of individuals hours and time we wanted to create a tool that would allow people to hit deadlines create enough cues and actually be able to build a person a build a, a business so that they could say yes when those opportunities came along and you know still have things that are important like family and vacation and peace and all those things so um, and life yeah regular life so um, my role in Amper Music has been kind of all over the place I've done engineering and I've done some writing and some building and I'm also like I guess the czar of our data model right now so Excellent. Okay. And we're going to get into uh, production libraries in just a second, but I want to put a finer point on where Amber comes into the process. So basically, what happens is that, and this is from my knowledge, you correct me if I'm wrong, but basically, if I'm, say, a line producer at ESPN, um, in my editing suite, I have Amper. We've licensed Amper as something that we can use. And within that, I can create cues that are based on, uh, I would say, music that's created through the uh, platform. It's not music that's licensed, it's music that's Correct. created specifically based on the different parameters that I provide to you, and then it allows me to connect it within my editing suite to the music on the fly, or to yeah. the video on the fly. Yeah, absolutely, so it's really cool. Uh, how it kind of fits into that particular process would be as the composer's tool to start creating music. So uh, with Amper, you can join like a subscription model or do an artist thing, or you can uh, do an API where you can integrate it into if you have proprietary software or something like that, a lot of options. But so for the ESPN guy who is like, say he has 15 or 20 cues for you know the NFL Super Bowl commercials coming up or whatever it is, just the spots. He can't be creative in, you know, one hour, <laughs> right. and he just needs a ton of stuff. So he goes to Amper and he says, this is the kind of genre I want, and then this is the sub-genre I want, and the kind of mood that I'm going for, and then he can just hit render, and in 15 or 20 seconds, he'll get a track. And he can adjust that track, um, he can put in cue points, so a lot of times in video, this is how we integrate it with video, there's a lot of transitions and apex points and, you know, all these different things that you want to highlight, 
we have a sliding scale and different points that you can input into a video so that it all stitches together and there's a musical crescendo or something like that so it really is flexible with the video that you're working with but um, it'll render a track and then you can change out any instruments you like or don't like you can go through our library we have thousands of unique instruments that we are constantly recording and updating and um, it's really that simple you just hit render and it spits it out um, at that point he has this track and if he likes the track and after all of his production that he can kind of work with it and he likes it you can download direct stems and you can either use those because they're very very high quality you can use those in the production or you can use them as scratch tracks or you can use them as you know however you want it's, it's yours excellent okay so that explains how somebody on the visual side works with Amber now one thing that I wanted to one thing that I wanted to get out and then we'll go back into our conversation with everybody is how does a composer work with it yeah, so it's basically a tool. Um, one of the reasons why Amper was created was because we have all these friends, and I say we at Amper because we're all musicians sort of in this industry trying to do this thing, um, where they just had workloads that were insane. And the composer needs a tool to, you can't constantly be creative 24 seven. You just can't do it. No one can be up at 2 a.m. knowing they have to get through 30 cues that week and like deliver really well. So this fits into the composer's tool as inspiration. It fits into the composer's tool as a, a, a stitching environment where we can say, what if I tried an idea like this with an idea like this, and you don't have time to record it and put it all together. You can really just, it helps your workflow. It can become your workflow. Um, it's very flexible. We've, we've had a lot of success and very interestingly enough, with just a diversity of people where some people use it epically different than others. So some people are like, I just want to render 50 tracks and it's great and I don't want to touch it. And other people are like, I just need a chord progression, man. <laughs> like, I burn through all my chord progressions and I need like 10 more and I'm just dying over here. So they'll take the chord progressions, get the idea, get inspired, and then just record their own song. Cool. Okay. We're going to get back to a lot of things on Amper in a minute. But the first thing that I wanted to... Uh, get to now that we've done introductions is I um, just wanted you to take me through a scenario and everybody can do this like when would a music supervisor when does a music supervisor or anybody who's working on a visual media project say I'm gonna come to a production music library versus saying I'm gonna go to a sync agent or I'm gonna go to an individual artist and what are some of the reasons why they would do that Sinead? It's project dependent. It's really a, it's a creative decision. Do they need and and also budget? I think often it comes down to budget. Um, I'd say we get <clears throat> Alison, who was here um, a few minutes ago, um, was saying that she has her people that she reaches out to. So BMG Production Music um, is in the Rolodex of all you know. Um, across media, TV, advertisers, um, film, all the trailer houses, and so we get hit up with probably, I'd want to say, just the US alone, probably 40 um, creative briefs a day. Um, and, you know, I can't tell you why they're reaching out to us. I probably budget they know us. We have varied, we have across all genres. Um, upwards of 300,000 tracks that are constantly being refreshed um, and we also offer custom so really it is a one-stop shop um, uh, but yes they 
you know, if they need Rolling Stones, obviously they're not going to go to a music library. Um, yeah. Right. And then in terms of in terms of the um, sort of cost structure, you know, what are the what are the sort of tiers that you have? Just give us a sort of a ballpark yeah. range. Um, literally, um, from anything from five hundred dollars a drop. Um, to if you get your track in a trailer that could be anywhere from 30 to even 60 thou um, and then we we do split the sync 50 50 with our composers um, we do keep the 100% of the publishing and the writer keeps 100% of the writer's share um, so there's uh, and and my biggest just one-off sync was um, in advertising and I licensed a track a couple of years ago for a hundred thousand dollars so that was a big payday for that composer <laughs> um, yeah so it's incredibly varied <coughs> excellent and then just one last question um, the people that you work with, the composers, are they interrelated to the label? Are they interrelated to the rest of the BMG family? Or is this sort of uh, separate and you just, you work with people based on what you need? Are you talking about core, BMG core? Yeah, exactly. Right, so we are separate to BMG core. We are, we are BMG, we're in the same building, we go to the same meetings. Um, and we, there is some crossover when a client comes to us and I see that they have 200 grand and I know that we don't have what they need, I will connect them to BMG, that sync licensing department. Um, there are some collaborations that take place. Um, Yeah, yeah, but we're pretty separate, and our pricing is very different. Yeah, you know, they're they're licensing stuff for a million bucks upstairs, so. You're working. You're working on volume, basically. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so uh, Jesse, I'm going to flip this question a little bit. Um, based on your experience. What have you seen in terms of um, you know, the kinds of uh, licensing deals and what are some of the companies that you've worked with in, the, uh, in production music? So there are basically two sources of income that you can earn as a composer or a producer in this side of the business. There's upfront fees and then there's back-end royalties. So you, you can see all ranges for all of each one of those categories. So. My royalties, I've obviously gotten many placements that are one penny, you know, and um, those are always fun to get. But I've also gotten one of my biggest single placements, this is a single placement, not my total royalties, but a single placement, it was a nine second piece of one of my songs, it was $1,700 off of it. And it wasn't even a major, it wasn't one of the networks, it was actually a cable, I think it was Al Jazeera or something, believe it or not. It's kind of interesting. So, um, and you find these kind of cool things that happen. So, there's a large range for the back end royalties. Upfront sync fees, as we were just talking about, can also range to the hundreds to six figures plus. So you're, the amount of uh, money you can uh, count on for those, I call them custom opportunities, where somebody's asking for you to write something like original that you haven't created before, is all over the place. It always comes down to, is it a regional, like if it's an advertisement, is it just a regional one? Is it a national one? Is it an international one? Usually those international ones, you'll see those larger figures. 
Uh, is it just internet-based? That's where you're probably going to see more in the thousands or hundreds. So it kind of depends on what they're using your music for, what the campaign is, and of course every budget is completely negotiable. So you really don't know, you can't say that there's an industry standard because everything kind of goes all over the place. In my career, at any one given time, I've only really worked with two or three libraries at a time. I have worked, I'd say, total probably with eight to ten over the 11 years I've been in this industry, but at any one given time, it really just two to three of them uh, I've been working with consistently. And actually, one of the ones I work with now is a guy that's sitting right here in the front row. This is Trevor with Get It Done Music. So he's a fairly new library. Actually, he's been around for about two or three years, uh, but really growing and really doing well. So I've done a lot of great stuff with him. Uh, you guys are definitely talking to him. He's always looking for new artists and new music to sign. So if you want to talk to him, definitely do that. Um, but I would say that when you uh, are a composer and you want to do this full time, what I recommend, why I've been doing two to three at a time, is that I like to A-B compare who's really getting me the results, right? If you just go 100% with one library and commit a year to them and you commit maybe like 100 tracks to them, how do you really know? Maybe they get you a couple of placements and you're excited about that, but do you know if that's as strong as it would have been if you worked with library B over here and they actually had something better for you? They actually had some more opportunities that were more applicable for your particular kind of music, right? So I always say go for that A-B comparison strategy and then after six months, a year, see what's going on. Now obviously you guys know your royalties takes nine to 12 months to show up. So what do you, how do you know in nine to 12 months who's really doing, you, doing your best bidding for you? Some of them will let you know if you've got some traction, if your tracks have placed, don't, look, don't guarantee or count on it because most of them you don't find out anything until you get that royalty check. It's just a nice surprise sometimes. But what I always say is look for clear and ongoing frequent communication with the library. So if you ask them a very easy question and they give you a vague answer or a very unclear answer or it's just kind of making you more confused, could be a red flag because usually very clear communication is a sign of a very healthy company. So if they have very unclear, vague, weird language and it makes you feel uneasy about working with them, second guess contributing to them more and more. And then, of course, the getting back to you. So if you are accepted by them and you're regularly submitting music to them, which you should be, you should be sitting on your hands waiting for them to tell you to do something, you should be proactively asking them, what do you need, what are you working on, what can I help you with? If you ask them something like, hey, where are my tracks? They're, they're not showing up in my PRO, or what, what happened to that opportunity that we had you know, two weeks ago? And it takes them a month to get back to you, or two months sometimes. I had one library I worked with, I think it was literally 11 months and like 29 days. I got a response and that was my, obviously I didn't continue working with them that entire time, but if you're getting that kind of like dragging their feet, not really considering you a part of their inner core team, you're probably not that important to them. They, you're probably just one out of thousands. So it, those are the kind of things you should look for in that first year. If you're getting some great signs that they care about you and they're communicating with you and explaining things to you and looping you in on, hey, this is, what our, this is the new client we just got. We need some music. Um, can you do something like this? If they're including you in those conversations, really good sign they're going to be advocating for you in the future. I think that's, I think that's some good advice, Jesse. And I will also say for sync agents, basically everything that you said. You know, you want to you want to work with somebody who's not just ignoring your emails. You can't expect, I think, either a sync agent or a production library to constantly be emailing you because they should be doing their job and not being, you know, constantly in touch. But on the other hand, if you reach out to them, they should get back to you within 48 hours. They should treat you the way that they treat a music supervisor or a production or a project. Um, because you deserve that much respect. And it might just be a one-line email or something, but it's just to let you know, yes, I, I know you're alive. I consider you, you know, somebody who's worthy of that much respect. Um, if you don't get that, yeah, it's kind of a bad sign. Kind of a bad sign that they're not really on your side. 
So that's, um, I would say, uh, some pretty good advice. Um, now, Eric, I'm going to pass this to you. Um, you know, find when, an advocate. What's that? Find an advocate. Absolutely. For music. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about, you know, why would, what, what differentiates what you do from, you know, what we've been talking about on this side? Well, in advertising, it's, uh, it's a little different than background music. Background music is built for dialogue primarily. Right. Whereas in advertising, we don't build stuff for dialogue because if it's an Apple commercial and you have, you know, you just need pretty pictures and compelling music that makes you make a decision that you want to buy that thing, right. that car, lifestyle, brand, etc. So it's more mixed. The mix is really important. It's more sonically aligned with an album than it would be with background music. Sure. Right. So it's like you've got to drop something. It's not just dropping something in there. And I don't want to devalue what what we're talking about with production music, but no, it's basically music is. It's very high quality. High, yeah, know, but it's more about it's more about saying, okay, this is the project. This is how we're going to create a, a, a soundscape for this brand and this particular campaign, this particular ad, and it's a much more sort of bespoke one-off process for each one, right? Depending upon the budget. Right, of yeah. course. Yeah. yeah. And um, what I hear artists say sometimes, oh, it's advertising. <laughs> but you have to remember, if you're doing a Toyota ad, they put like a billion dollars of R&D into that new car, and they need the music to match the message. Yeah. So it's got to it's be great. It can't be good or you know, cheesy or comedic. I mean, there are those situations where you have comedy and commercials, but we don't really do that. Right. So basically, when you're looking at your process, like let's take, let's take Toyota as an example, or no, let's take the Kit Kat ad that we were talking about. Um, that was pre-existing music. Okay, that was pre-existing mm -hmm. music. So let's um, let's talk about that for a second. So how did that how did that decision come about that you guys would use something pre-existing rather than create something for it? Was it just budget, or was it the right music for the right? Project. It was the right music for the right project. We're constantly taking temperature of what's going on. I mean, watching ads is part of my job every day. Right. And a good, a great place for a resource if you're wondering where your music fits in the advertising world is a website called iSpot.tv. Yeah. Because they have every product, every commercial that's running, and you can just basically go through the categories and see where your music fits. Right. iSpot.tv, that's a really, it's sort of like the the tune find of advertising. That's yeah, the best exactly, way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and it's just such a great resource for you to find out what's going on, what kind of music people are using, and all of that. Um, so when there's a decision made, i got to turn my timer off. Give me a second. That's what I was doing before. I wasn't ignoring you. Yeah, she was like, "You're looking at your watch." I'm like, "No, no, no! I'm doing my timer so that we don't run like super late like we did yesterday." So, uh, anyway, um, when you're working, um, when you're working on a project that calls for bespoke music, mm -hmm. how is that decision made, and what do you do next? Well, you generally get a brief from like an editorial house or a music supervisor, and then we put the call out. We don't start relationships that way. Because 
the close rate on a bespoke piece of music is about 4%. Right. Honestly, yeah. So if, if I'm constantly sending out briefs to a new writer, we're never going to get to 25 pieces of music before they go, you're, you're full of it. Yeah, exactly, and they yeah. just say, screw it. Yeah, yeah and, and a lot of times we'll take, if we miss that brief, things, things run in trends, so we'll go ahead and have that composer or artist finish that song, put the juice on it, if you will, and we'll keep pitching that song. Excellent. Okay, and now I'm gonna. Okay, we're gonna come back to Amber in a second, but I'm gonna come to you guys, and I'm gonna ask Jesse to start off with this, and then we can, um, and then Sinead, I want to ask you. But basically, what comprises a good production music library to work with? Who is a good partner to work with? What are the sort of best practices that you should see if you engage with one? And Jesse, I know you've got a lot to say about that, so why don't you start with that? You go ahead and take that mic. So basically it starts with a connection between the music that you want to create and what they can get placed. And I had a couple questions from some of you guys yesterday about, you know, what if I want to do 10 different genres? Can I just do all of them? I love them all. Honestly, no. I would tell you guys, don't do that. Because you, you probably, if you really search inside yourself, you would probably be honest and realize that you probably are really great at one of them, maybe two. And I would say really zero in on focus on one or two genres that you think you can really bring A-level material to. The, the industry has gotten more popular and there are a lot of producers out there trying to get into this industry. So that would be the step one for you guys is to really zero in on the one genre that you feel you can really bring to the table. When you're researching libraries, what I usually look for is I want to see what they've placed, obviously. If they're brand new and there's not much going on on their website, it can be a pro or a con because you might be getting on the ground floor of a really awesome groundbreaking company and you become an inner circle member from day one. And that's a really strong place to be, you know, 10 years into the future, you're one of the founding composers, right? But it also means you might be waiting a couple years before some bigger placements come through the door because the library's in that growing phase and they're just whining and dining and getting those clients. If they're more established, been around for a while, obviously see what kind of placements are they, are they getting, right? There's a big difference between a library that serves primarily reality TV shows and one that's doing ads, trailers, yeah. um, all that kind of stuff. So you need to make sure that your music is useful, and I use the word licensable if that's even a word, but I use it all the time. You gotta make sure your music is licensable for the particular library you're submitting to. Um, if you're just spamming a bunch of people and hoping something sticks, go do something else. You're going to be completely ignored and you're going to land in the spam folders of most of these companies. And nobody likes to be treated that way. These are human beings. They have families. They have bills to pay to. People just like to be treated like a person. So as long as you're coming to them and saying, I've done my research, and you guys have talked about this with all the yep. agents and music supervisors and all that stuff. Yep. Do your research. Know who you're talking to. Let them know you've looked at their website. You've seen the placements they've done. And that also the last piece would be Look at their catalog. Most of these libraries, you can go listen to the music that they have on their Source Audio website or wherever they host their music. And be honest with yourself, it's hard, but if your music is not up to par with what you're hearing with them, don't shoot. Do not go for it. They're not going to take you on board if you're not bringing anything at least on par or hopefully better than what they do. Last piece of advice I would give is, let's say you do hip-hop. Now, hip-hop is so saturated. There's so much hip-hop out there. What I would recommend is if they have 20,000 tracks that are hip-hop, you don't want to be the next 10 that gets accepted. Even if they accept you, great. You're, you're just 10 out of 20,000. That doesn't do much for you. Rather than go into something that's very saturated in their catalog, see if you can create a hybrid style, right? Throw some hip-hop with rock on top of it. 
you would think, oh, everybody does that. Not many people are able to combine two genres effectively. A lot of people try it and it comes out really not so great. So trying to get two different genres to fit together is a really, it's not complex and it's not rocket science. It's actually, it only takes probably about 10% extra effort to do it, but you basically carve a, a little unique niche for yourself. So when they think hip hop rock, they think you. You want, you want your name to be somebody. You don't want to be number 9,000 in their catalog. It also does hip hop, great. We need another one of those, right? They don't. So I'll, I would always say that would be it. And then it, the other flip side with that would be, let's say you do something strange like polka music or something that's out there, right? And you look, you look at their catalog and you're like, hey, they don't have any polka music. I could be their polka guy. Probably not, because there's probably a reason they don't have any polka music. There's no placement opportunities for that kind of, that, that kind of music. So I'm just using it. Oktoberfest, of course. <laughs> if, if you see an opportunity, then there's maybe an opportunity. But if you're seeing that there's nothing there, that doesn't mean that there should be a hole you fill. It might mean that there's just no opportunity there. So what I see, the golden zone of opportunity that I look for is you look at their placements and they use a lot of your style of music. You look at their catalog and they're not oversaturated with that style. That's a golden opportunity for you to go in because your music is going to be on day one, very useful for them. Definitely submit a full album. The days of giving one or two tracks are over, I think. Give them a full 10 or 12 tracks, all focused on one genre. We're getting thumbs up already. This is what they want to do because you let them know, and even in your uh, subject line, these are 12 hip-hop rock hybrid tracks available for exclusive licensing with your company. That'll get their attention so much more than anything else because you're coming to the table with a finished product. They don't have to hold your hand to complete that album. Very solid by Sinead. And don't forget, it does have to be exclusive. Don't retitle, don't take your tracks and give them to one library and then think you're being clever and giving the same tracks to another library and thinking you're going to increase your chances because you will end up being blacklisted if you're found out. It is, um, it's a business and we, you, you, if we are, we oftentimes will license a track out and the client will pay a premium because they want that exclusivity so we'll actually take that uh, track off the library for maybe a year and so it's no good if that same track is available it would be terrible legal you know problems um, what makes a good library um, BMG production music I'm really proud to to be working for um, for BMG um, we value our composers above all else because without that music, without the composers, we are nothing. Um, so what I would encourage you to do is to reach out. Don't be shy. Um, you can absolutely email me. There's, we have about 28 people currently in the US. Uh, what makes us um, attractive to composers is that when you place your music with us, um, you will automatically also be placing it globally. So um, our UK office, our France, Netherlands, um, Asia, Sydney, Australia, um, and we also have an office in New York, which just opened um, two years ago. So that is increasing your chances, but I, can't even imagine the amount of, if the US is getting, say, 35 to 40 searches a day, requests, now multiply that by at least five. Um, so your chances just go up exponentially. Um, so definitely 
don't don't try and be a jack of all trades. As Jesse said, focus in. What are you good at? Maybe it's two genres. It's probably not all genres. And then I would say um, an offering of 10. I'm all for, I would also encourage you to um, do definitely increase your chances even more and place your tracks with as many libraries that will, that will actually um, license your music. Um, so, but, but do be specific and one thing I want to say is um, don't give us 10 tracks that all sound similar because you're just cannibalizing yourself. Um, and then another thing I want to say is turn on the television and listen to the music that's playing, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, that's, it's as simple as that. I think the number one question I get is, what music do you need? <laughs> well, my God, it just runs the gamut. Um, and, but a good way to hone into that is to just do your homework by watching TV and seeing what's out there. Um, and again, I like, so the process would be for you, let's say you want to be considered by BMG Production Music, um, send me an email directly um, uh, with a link to um, several tracks and then I will um, send those out to the creatives on our team and there's a discussion about them and it might take two weeks. Um, if we feel it's a good fit, then I will invite you in to come and meet with us um, and have a conversation, you know, and, and make sure that you understand the terms of actually quite a simple contract, in my opinion, um, and discuss rates with you and possibilities and the marketing that we can do for you um etc etc and possibly a future path within the company um maybe you'll end up sitting with the head of production and maybe actually production needs specific albums that need to be um composed um and there is probably a small you know upfront payment for that sometimes if it's a bigger thing and we need you to go to budapest or prague you you know uh, there might be budget for that. I mean, there's lots of different things that can happen um, within the world of production music. If you're with a, a cool, um, hard-working, honest um, uh, library, music library. Um, well, Sinead, that was a great pitch, actually. I think that we all should work with her. <laughs> that was great. But there's a couple things I wanted to unpack in there that I think are really important for me just to be clear about. Um, Sinead, one of the things that you talked about was exclusivity. So I want to I want to say what that means. You can work with two or three libraries, but the particular track that you give to one of them, let them exclusively have that one so that they are the designated one to get that. That also goes for working with sync agents too. Anybody who says to you that you should retitle something, just don't. And I've had conversations over the years on stage and just talked about it in general where you know, basically some people have said retiling's okay, some people have said it's not okay. It's not okay. 
That's my, that's my line, and I'm sticking with it, just because if you're a music supervisor and you're getting the same track from like two production libraries or two sync agencies, basically it's going to turn you off because you don't know who to trust, and you're going to move on to the next thing. And that means you lose that opportunity, so you don't want to be in that situation. So don't let anybody retitle you. That's one of the main things. And when you do... Um send us your, if we accept your music, uh, straightforward composer track, and that's in perpetuity. So do know that. So that it's different when it comes to artists. Right. Are there any actual artists in the audience? Right. So there's a different deal. It's separate. It would be for three to five years, um, and then all the rights would revert back to you if, if you should, so wished. Excellent. Okay, and now, um, okay, I'm gonna do a little bit of a. I'm, I'm gonna do a little bit of something with Amber here. I gotta ask you a question because uh, it's it's something it's something that I've asked you guys uh, before, which is you know, is for people who are composers and producers, is Amber at the end of the day additive or subtracting opportunities? That's a really great question. Um, I will answer to the best of my ability. I want to start by saying is. If I thought it was very subtractive or damaging to this industry in any way, I would not personally be working for or supporting the company. Fair enough. Um, this was a company that was created by and for people who love this industry, who have you know, put food on their table for their kids in this industry. So right. I, I am from the position that it is absolutely additive as a tool for composers, as a tool for artists, as a tool for any musician who's trying to be creative and find a, a space in the music industry to make money and you know live and thrive. The subtractive side, I want to be very, very honest, is that the industry is always going to change. Right. And the inception of companies like Amper, they really do take over some of the workload that a lot of people do, and including myself, a lot of what we do. and. In some instances, that, that can seem like a subtractive, but what I would say to that is the industry is constantly changing. The job that we do to make music and get published and put music out into the world is constantly going to evolve and change, and that's going to happen whether or not Amper exists. That's going to happen whether or not music library companies exist. So I would say that it might be subtractive to how the job gets done, but the composer, the producer, the artist that sits in the chair and gets the job done, that job will never be taken away. Right. Like Amper is 100% additive to that person's job. Um, yeah, it's just, we're just trying to tackle the problems that kind of get that person to quit, <laughs> you know, or get that person to step out of the chair and say it's just not viable. Right. You know, Amper wants to add to your yeses to opportunities. It wants to add to your creative space. Um, I love what you guys said about zeroing in on like what your actual gift is, because I 100% agree. Yeah. And um, a lot of what people see Amper use and maybe kind of try to exploit it as is they approach it as a producer and say, I can do every genre now because all I have to do is click a button. No. That's a mistake. It will never work because yeah. Amper is not going to be the A to Z of music creation. AI will never be. Any tool will never be. And it will only support what you're already excellent at, what you're already working really hard towards, what you're already giving into the, the space. So even in that, Amper just helps you 
any tool, I'm going to want to even say Amper exclusively, but any tool that is new in the environment, if it's used properly, it should just be additive to your workflow, to your opportunity, and to your placement and out, to be able to say, yes, I can make 15, you know, 80s pop tracks, because I'm good at that, that's great, but my daughter's birthday is tomorrow, and I don't have, you know, all the, all the time that happens in our life, I can do it, I can get it done. So that's how it's additive and not subtractive. But, you know, things change. Things will change, and we're all going to have to sort of get on board with how that happens every year. It changes every year for whatever reason. This just happens to be another change. Fair enough, Shane. And then, uh, Eric, I wanted to ask you, um, and then I'm going to take one or two questions from the audience, um, but I wanted to ask you, um, what's your criteria for working with an artist? How does, how does somebody get to work with you? Have good music. Yeah. Have great music. Right. <laughs> really. um, yeah, because we act as a as a real publisher, we have opportunities where we collaborate with you, or we'll put you with a team, or you know we do fly people around to right. put teams together for projects. Um, but we don't start relationships that way. <laughs> right. We start relationships with let's hear your music. If it's great and we accept it, we only sign things that we absolutely believe in because I don't want to write a disappointing email to anyone. Right. Or hold your music hostage when it could have an opportunity with someone else. You know, maybe their client, we don't have their clients and your music would be better somewhere else. We also do a term agreement because if we don't fulfill our promise of making you money, your track and all the rights revert back to you. So. Great. Okay, we have time for one or two questions. Um, anybody? Okay, back there. <clears throat> Tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, I, my name is Chu. I go by Chu the producer. I'm a producer, <laughs> songwriter, and uh, below average singer. Uh, <laughs> my first question is for Shane. Uh, with AI assisting in the composition process, uh, is there any concern about um, publishing? Like, what happens with the publishing and who owns that? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. Um, so right now, the subscription model, that's you know just a, a fee every month or whatever it is. It, it depends on the use case. So if you make a track, and when you download all the stems of that track, you use a couple of stems like in a derivative work, like an artist normally would, or like a producer for a music library would, or if you're getting you know ad music or whatever it is. Uh, Amper Music doesn't take any writing or publishing. That's all you. So if you're using Amper Stems in a derivative creative work, we, we basically treat our engine as a tool just like we would treat like a Nord keyboard as a tool. Like Nord doesn't own your melody, you know, just because you wrote it on a Nord. So um, that's how that works. If you made a full track and basically just like put it out there and just sang over it and didn't change anything, that's a really good conversation to have with part of our team because then we would work out a deal. But we basically want you to win. Um, another thing that kind of was the reason for incepting this company was all of the licensing crap that you have to go through and all of the, the just the issues that lie there. So we are actually really, really committed to supporting like your end of it because we get we get paid otherwise. Like that's not where our value is really held. So we want to make sure that um, the value is appropriate, that we get what we're owed and you get what you're owed. But we're very, very open-handed, and mostly you'll find that you won't run into anything with Amper at all. 
And if you would, we'd have the conversation with you way before the fact, and all those lines would be very, very clearly drawn before you ever submitted something to, to a library or to an organization. Is there the potential for the system to create duplicate uh, melodies or stems? No. So that's what's really cool about AI is that every single time it's a brand new performance. And um, it's based on algorithms that have like creative randomization. I, I don't know how much I can actually say publicly about our, our proprietary algorithms, but um, you'll never find a place where like YouTube will take down your track because it sounds like another person's track and then like automatically blacklist your video for three months until they figure it out. Like it's just not possible. It won't happen because we don't create duplicates. Okay, great. Tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, hi, my name is uh, Jared Taylor. I'm a composer and producer. Um, and this question is for Shane and it's only, I'm sure a lot of people here are kind of thinking the same thoughts of just like, oh, what does success for a company like this look like, you know? Um, there's that kind of the subtractive fear, as you said, right? Um, and I, I think that's simply my question is like, yeah, what, what, is, what does success, success look like for Amper uh, to you? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I mean, world domination <laughs> is mostly what we're going for. No, not at all. Um, no, yeah, Skynet. No, uh, success for Amper looks like we, we want to be a part of every side of music, whether that's creative or artistic or um, supporting even like retail. We, we've done a lot of study on, on how music motivates sales, not just in ad space, but also like on websites like Google algorithms that will actually promote higher and higher in searches if they have videos with music attached to them. So success for Amper looks like we want to help create opportunities for musicians to work in every space across the industry, even in places where music wasn't really a viable option before because of cost. So I, I get the fear, trust me. I mean, I'm, I'm a recording artist, I'm a producer, I have tracks out there, I've, I've done recordings, I've gotten placements. But Amper is really just, the success of it would be to see everybody working all the time with this tool, helping them, helping them along the way. Like, that is ultimate success, is we want people to use Amper, we want people to be a part of, we want Amper to be a part of their workflow, but we don't want to take them out of work, and we don't want to take opportunities away from them and just keep that in the company. We're a supportive company rather than a conglomerate, if that makes sense. Excellent, okay. One last question right here. Tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, I'm Tysa Goodrich. I'm a composer and, and singer, songwriter, artist. Um, when you're talking about the individual styles and genres that you would do, I'm doing both instrumental. I have an instrumental catalog and I also have a song, song produced song catalog. Um, they they kind of cross. They're, they're both similar in their genre. Um, would I submit just an instrument, an instrumental catalog first, or you do both, or? Or who do you want to answer? To? Either one. Okay. Well, I would say, are you primarily focusing on your artist career? Like you want to do, um, you want to build up social media, you want to do touring, sales. Is that your primary focus? No. No. So TV no. film is your primary focus. Yeah, but I am performing, so I'm st I'm still doing that. Okay. But. So I would say you probably want to make a decision on where you want to focus first, yeah. because I would say, I, I learned a lot in this, this is why I appreciate Mark about this conference, I learned a lot about sync agents, I had not known much about them before yesterday actually. I had gotten these weird offers, or heard about these offers from some of my followers, 
and they said, hey, this person wants $1,500 a month, and they're saying they're going to be my sync agent. So that's what I heard about sync agents up until this conference and talking to Mark, and he really opened my eyes at the, the possibility that there are legit sync agents out there that can really help you. But usually, I would say that is a good path if you want to be 100% focused on becoming an artist or you know a singer-songwriter, that side of the industry. Because a sync agent, you don't have to do much work. You just basically give them your music, and then they pitch it for you. And if there's something that's appropriate, that's great. In library work, usually you are going to be... The, the benefit, I think, of working with production libraries is it's not like you just submit music and hope maybe you have an opportunity in six months that's good for it. You can just ask somebody, what do you need? What do you look? What are you working on? What's going on? And if you have a relationship with them, you can basically pitch stuff directly to their needs. So with what you have currently, that might be a great way to get in if you find the right library. What I talked about before, if they need that kind of style of music, if you're filling a really good need for them, but get ready to work. Because the minute they accept that album, you can't sit on your, your thumbs waiting for another opportunity. The next email should be, Great, you got the album, what do you need next? What can I do now? Do you want more of that? Do you want something a little bit different? So you're just constantly building. I see your catalog in the TV film world like your 401k. You don't just put a thousand bucks into it and think by the time you're 70, you got a million dollars. Every month, you put a little bit of your paycheck into it, right? You just watch that grow over time. And if you're, we're gonna be a music producer or a songwriter or whatever you wanna call yourself, we gotta live up to our job title. So I'm a music producer, so what do I do every day? I produce music. Whether or not there's a brief in front of me, whether or not there's a direct immediate huge custom opportunity you know for ten thousand or twenty thousand dollars even if I don't have that I better be working and I better be constantly building that catalog so and you can go, you can go vocal or instrumental just kind of depends on who you're pitching to again and what their needs are Maybe. Um, everything he said and um, um, in my opinion I'd be happy to listen to both it's to you know um, and just listen and give you feedback Thank you for listening to the Sync My Music podcast. If you enjoyed the show and want me to do more episodes, all that I ask is that you leave me a review on whatever platform or app that you're listening to. It just takes a few seconds. I'll never charge for this podcast and I want to keep it 100% ad-free. And your review right now will help me do just that. Thank you so much.